Nate Vandegriff comes to us uh, from Orchard, but he actually got here, he was dragged here by his girlfriend. Now, I know there's a lot of people for whom that's true. Dragged here by your girlfriend, who then became his wife, and together now they have uh, two kids, two girls, Natalie and Emma, ages three and two, and Nate has become a follower of Christ and has joined Orchard Hill Church, and he just finished this leadership class with us called The Journey, and uh, as a part of that, he wrote this narrative, and now he's going to share it. Thanks, Nate. Thanks Thanks for the courage. Good morning. So many different lives I have lived, all in this one life that I have. We are our stories. Here is mine. My story starts August 22nd, 1982, in the beautiful city of Durango, Colorado. I am the son of Vicki and Todd Vandegrift. I was the middle child of three boys, but by far the cutest. (laughs) My older brother, Jeremy, is 16 months older than me. We grew up doing everything together. As Jeremy tried to shed his sidekick, I was always trying to do things with him as I looked up to him. I remember finding fun things to do on our four-wheelers or jumping on our trampoline to pass the time. We were always building forts and playing soccer together. We were best friends, but also tended to be at each other's throats frequently. I remember chasing him around with a bar stool in a fit of rage to try and offset his larger size and strength. He knew what buttons to push to set me off. Having a bar stool in my hands was the only way I ever got him to run from me. However, I usually ended up crying on the floor with the bar stool in his hands, not mine. From the background, my parents would be yelling, Nathan, quit your crying. Jeremy and I started fighting less during his junior year of high school when he got a girlfriend. Who knew? I wanted to be more like Jeremy growing up. He was tall, fit, and very smart mechanically. He got all the fun projects at the auto shop that my parents owned and owned where we grew up, and I longed for those type of activities. Jeremy began dating a wonderful woman named Kayla during college. Kayla got pregnant during Jeremy's second year of college, and he moved up to Denver, Colorado, to be with her and her family to support the unexpected pregnancy. My dad hoped Jeremy would stay in Durango and take over the auto shop, but this hope was ended when Jeremy moved the six hours away. My younger brother, Alex, was born in 1992. I was nine years old when he was born. I remember being a little annoyed that I wasn't going to be the youngest any longer, but was excited to have a little brother. Not all nine-year-olds get a baby brother. Alex has always loved computers and gaming and spent a lot of his free time in front of computers. He spent a lot of time with my dad in in the shop and has significant and mechanical and electrical knowledge, and by all accounts is much smarter than me. I still call him today for questions on technology and computers. My mom grew up in California in a very strict household. Her father, Grandpa Blackburn, was very dominant and her mother very quiet. Grandpa Blackburn taught his kids such things like, if you don't finish your dinner, you can't get up from the table. The potted plants near the dinner table always ended up with some extra fertilizer when he wasn't looking. (laughs) My mother's mom, Grandma Blackburn, died of alcoholism when I was two. She was 49 years old. I have no memory of who she was, and sadly, the only stories I hear of her was her closet alcoholism. She'd always sneak away to the other room to do laundry or dishes, but my mom found out later in life that she was in there drinking. She'd hide bottles of vodka in the tank of the toilet, in their dirty clothes hamper, and other places. Her drink of choice was vodka because she thought people couldn't smell it on her. For my mom's 16th birthday, she bought her a bottle of liquor and got her drunk. 
To this day, my mom hardly drinks. She believes the death of her mom due to alcoholism and her getting sick on her 16th birthday is the reason she really can't stand alcohol. I can tell when my mom speaks of her mother, she tries to find great things to say, but it usually comes back to grandma's alcoholism. My dad grew up in a Catholic household in Denver, Colorado. When my dad was in his late teens, his family relocated to Durango, Colorado from Denver, but they never made it to a new church. My dad told grandpa that he didn't want to go to church anymore, and grandpa agreed. I grew up in a non-religious household where we never spoke of God. We never attended church, and Christmas was about giving gifts, eating, lots of eating, and spending time with family. When I was in high school, I dated a girl who had started going to church. I went, to, I went with her to church a few times, and that opened up a conversation with my dad. My dad said he wasn't a fan of churches because he knew of a guy who gave all of his belongings to a local church when he died instead of his family. He told me the church relentlessly pursued the belongings and the family was at a loss. This one story defined the church for my dad. Churches were about making money and less about helping people. I'm not sure if this is still how my dad feels today about church, but it's definitely the one discussion I remember. My dad's parents lived right next door to us in Colorado. We'd go visit Grandpa and Grandma Vandegrift multiple times per week to hang out and tell stories and have drinks. Jeremy, Alex, and I were very close to our neighboring grandparents, mostly due to my dad's relationship with his parents, but literally due to them living right next door. <laughs> After months of battling cancer, we moved Grandma Vandegrift from the hospital to live out the rest of her days at home. My mom called me one morning after I had stayed at a friend's house to tell me to come home quick as Grandma Vandegrift's time was getting near. As a family, we took turns holding her hand as she laid there unconscious in the bedroom. Soon after I left her side, I heard the heart monitor flatline from the other room. Grandma Vandegrift peacefully died in her home with family nearby. This was an extremely sad event for our entire family. However, I don't remember feeling that deep pain that I saw in the rest of the family. I was very close to Grandma Vandegrift, but I'm not sure I knew how to feel pain at that point in my life. I remember my dad saying, I love you, son, as he hugged me that afternoon. I also noticed a shift in the frequency of the words I love you being spoken in our home after that event. God was at work in our family's hearts bringing us closer together and giving us the words to communicate this feeling. My parents own an auto shop where I spent most of my time growing up. This was where I first got my mechanical aptitude and desire to play with all things mechanical. It was fun learning things from my dad as he is a mechanical genius. My first vehicle was a 1977 Chevy Blazer, which I bought for 500 bucks. My dad showed me how to rebuild the engine and we had it running by the time I was 16. Rock crawling and off-roading was a big thing in Colorado, so we'd go hit the mountains and rocky deserts to see what our vehicles could do. Safety, however, was not a priority for me growing up and I always lived life on the edge. I was involved in multiple rollover accidents and remember putting other people's lives at risk with these behaviors. Somehow, we were fortunate enough to walk away from all these events with only scrapes and bruises. I'm not sure why, but big or scary events like these never really had an impact on me. I would never reflect on the incident or change much about how I lived my life afterwards. I just let them happen to me. I'm still somewhat numb of emotions that I should probably still be having. <laughs> I think this could be because we never really spoke of feelings as a family growing up. We didn't hug much. We said, I love you, very seldom, and rarely spoke about why we were sad or happy. 
I believe I am still emotionally maturing and understanding these types of feelings today. Growing up, I was always good at school. In fact, I was often not, oftentimes not challenged enough and subsequently bored. This boredom usually related to me in getting into trouble. I remember bringing home dozens of notes from the teachers to give to my parents stating that I had acted out that day or had been involved in some sort of mischief. I knew m most of my principles pretty well. But I found out later in life, most kids don't have that kind of relationship with the principal. <laughs> in high school, I took advanced college courses and graduated with a 4.02 GPA and a semester early. I graduated third in my high school class of 300 people. Soccer was always a huge part of our lives growing up. I just want to take a second, look at that unibrow. I was rocking that thing. Soccer was always a huge part of our lives growing up. My older brother, Jeremy, and I played on competitive traveling soccer brows. Soccer brows. <laughs> oh, that's a pun there. As a family, our vacations were made up of going on soccer tournaments in surrounding states. High school soccer was the biggest thing in Jeremy and my life growing up. We trained before the season and dreamed of starting on the varsity team and winning state. During the first few years of high school, my best friend Brandon and I met. Brandon and I spent most of our time together and I spent a lot of time at his house. Brandon's house usually didn't have any supervision as his parents were recently divorced, so I stayed there often. During the high school soccer season, many of our teammates had begun drinking and Brandon and I became curious about the new enjoyment others were having. My older brother had always been against drinking and spoke negatively about people that drank, so I adopted his beliefs and I had many opportunities to indulge in drinking before I was 16. However, I wanted to be like Jeremy, and his beliefs were mine as well, so I avoided it until the pressure became too much. I began my drinking career when I was 16. The shift from adding value to the world to taking value from the world had begun. During the middle of my, senior, of my soccer season my senior year, we were at a buddy's house drinking, and a concerned parent reported me to the school. The coach called my parents into school, and I was pulled out of class to attend a meeting, which was more like an interrogation. I swore up and down that I wasn't drinking. However, the coach decided me to use an example out of me, and I was suspended from the next three games. Three games was all he could get based on the contract, but after those three games had passed, he chose to not let me play another game my senior year. This devastated me. Soccer was my life, and I could see my senior year washing away right in front of me. I remember feeling like such a victim during this. How could somebody do this to me? I had no regret for what I had done, and the world was against me. My dream after high school was to play for Fort Lewis College in Durango as the starting goalie of a D2 team. Unfortunately, the college coach and my high school coach knew each other, so when I finally met the college coach about trying out for the team, he told me that he'd work me harder than any other person on the team, and there was probably no chance that I would play. I think he was testing me to see how tough I was. However, this conversation gave me another excuse to be a victim. I took the selfish, easy way out and I didn't pursue trying out. I regret this so much. As I reflect on this, I'm not sure what God was up to at this point in my life. I still, I still feel regret and shame and rarely speak of this selfish person that I was. I ended up attending Fort Lewis College when I was 17 on a full ride academic scholarship. Important note here, this was not a soccer scholarship. 
I moved out of my parents' house when I was 17 to live with Brandon, who was also starting at Fort Lewis. We spent most of our time together that first semester partying. I was able to get decent grades while drinking heavily. However, Brandon wasn't so fortunate. Brandon was unsure what to do with his life at that point since his grades were poor, so he enlisted in the Army and left Durango later that year. Brandon was really my only friend, and I felt somewhat abandoned. I was not close to my family or brothers at that time, and I felt truly alone. I spent the rest of the year chasing around college girls and drinking most nights of the week. Later that year, I decided I needed to get out of my hometown. I was accepted into Colorado State University and moved to Fort Collins, Colorado the next fall to pursue mechanical engineering. That fall, I was promoted in my drinking career. I moved in with five other guys who drank heavily, two of which were over 21 and worked full time. So we had endless access to alcohol and funding for it. We called our house Mini Fraternity and we built a bar in the backyard. We spent time recruiting people to come, up to, come over to our parties up to three times a week. The next five years were consumed by partying and trying to survive college. I struggled to have healthy relationships with anyone as I was more worried about partying than anything else. When I was drinking, I was so extremely selfish. When drinking, I'd worry about drinking more. When not drinking, I'd worry about how to feel better and cure my hangover. This is a world focused on me. In addition to receiving a four-year degree completed in six years, I also received five noise violations, multiple minor in possession tickets, public intoxication, false impersonation, open container, and of course driving under the influence. In addition to the tickets, I also damaged myself physically. I had broken multiple bones, including fingers, toes, and a broken back. I underwent surgery twice, once to repair a dislocated kneecap and another to repair a separated shoulder. I sustained many other smaller injuries, and it's hard for me to think of a time during those six years that I was actually healthy. While attending Colorado State University, I played club college soccer for those five years, and I spent a few months of them on a semi-pro soccer team playing goalie. Playing at this level was an amazing experience. The guys I played with were absolutely incredible at soccer. After two months in, I broke my arm uh, playing goalie in one of the games. I actually played the last 15 minutes of that game with a broken arm. My pride kept me from coming off, even though the pain was unbearable. I was replaced the next week by a different goalie, and I never played again at that level. The day before my college graduation, my parents drove the seven hours from my hometown to spend the weekend with me and celebrate my achievement. I had celebrated hard through the night before until about noon that day. My parents had to let themselves into my apartment to find me passed out on my bed. My parents were so ashamed and embarrassed of me, I could see it in their eyes. My parents came up with a story to share with the other family members that were in town to celebrate my graduation as to why we couldn't meet up with them that night. A lie, because they were so embarrassed of me. To this day, I still feel guilty knowing I let them down so deeply. Psalm chapter 69, verse five. You, God, know my foolishness. My guilt is not hidden from you. During my senior year of college, I accepted a job with John Deere in Waterloo, Iowa. I remember thinking that I could get used to potatoes. <laughs> I also remember thinking that the winters couldn't be worse than Colorado winters. Boy, was I wrong about both. <laughs> After I moved to Iowa, I no longer spoke to a single person that I knew in those six years of college. This was a testament to how close I actually was with those people. 
Those people were just drinking buddies, and I never had formed a deep relationship with any of them that was based on trust, values, and friendship. I literally had zero healthy relationship built in, built in six years of college. This is another point in my life where I felt very alone. One weekend night in December 2006, I met a beautiful woman named Bobby at a bar in Cedar Falls. She was sweet, happy, and luckily very interested in me. We exchanged numbers and I and began talking regularly. After she broke up with her boyfriend, we started dating. <laughs> As I look back, I know God placed Bobby in my life in that moment to change the trajectory of my life. Bobby was grounded in faith and true to her Christian upbringing. She attended church every Sunday with her parents in Davenport. Since she lived two hours away, we rotated weekends visiting each other, and when I was down visiting her, I was expected to attend church with her and her parents. After months of dating, I tried to convince Bobby to move to Cedar Falls, but she knew I needed to get my life priorities in order first. The first year and a half of dating was pretty rough as I was still drinking. I tried breaking up with Bobby multiple times as I knew I was hurting her emotionally, but she wouldn't let me. She knew I was a good person and stuck with me to get me through this phase of my life. During Bobby's 25th birthday, I was more focused on drinking than her, and I really upset her. She told me that I had ruined her birthday. I had fallen in love with Bobby, and for the first time in my life, I became aware of the negative impact I was having on other people in my life. I had tried to quit drinking multiple times in previous years, but I was never truly ready. This time, I felt compelled to start a relentless pursuit of an alcohol-free life. This started with a bet with a buddy to see who could go the longest without drinking. At three months in, he lost the bet as he chose to drink one night, but I kept going. I was feeling healthier and better than ever. After six months of separating myself from environments and people that cared more about drinking than being friends, I no longer even thought about alcohol. Thanks to Bobby surrounding me with support and strength, and most importantly, grounding me at the start of a faith journey, I am proud to say that I haven't had a drink of alcohol since Bobby's 25th birthday, and I have been alcohol-free for almost nine years. Although I don't celebrate it often, <laughs> although I don't celebrate it often, I am very proud of this accomplishment. When I quit drinking nine years ago, I quit living a, full, a life full of selfish behavior that only took value from the world. At that time, I started a faith-grounded journey of living a life alcohol-free that would begin adding value to the world, making it a better place. My drinking career lasted almost nine years. Those nine years were full of selfish behavior and causing emotional pain to others, especially my mom, who had been torn apart by a mother who died of alcoholism. Quitting drinking was always the right thing to do, but the easy thing to do was to continue to drink. I have developed a simple life motto based on my journey. Do what is right, not what is easy. In 2009, I chose to follow Christ and was baptized by Ed Baker, and later, and later Bobby and I became members at Orchard Hill Church. I, was, I will always remember how Bobby described God when I was beginning to learn more about faith. She said, God is all things that are good. To this day, that is still the simplest, most refreshing way to describe God. If it is good, then it is God. Bobby and I joined a small group where we began to develop deep relationships with great people. However, more importantly, I was beginning to have people in my life that were grounded in faith and were, simply put, really good people. 
After the first Bible study session, Bobby and I knew we were going to be great friends with all of these wonderful people. The 10 of us are still meeting today and enjoy having real conversations on our successes, struggles, and our faith journey. Bobby and I got married in 2010 and immediately started trying to get pregnant. All of her friends had already started having kids, so she felt behind. I was definitely not as ready as she was. After six months of trying to get pregnant with no luck, we decided to seek medical assistance as we certainly weren't getting any younger. Bobby and I began going through a series of tests, and then one day Bobby called me at work with some bad news. After she got done crying, she was able to tell me that the results of our tests indicated that we had 0% chance of getting pregnant. This was a hard day for us. I don't remember ever crying harder than I did that day when I heard that news. When we started originally trying to get pregnant, my heart wasn't ready for children, but I knew Bobby's was, so I played along. Being told that I couldn't have children, however, changed my heart, and I mean truly changed my heart. God was at work in my life. I didn't know how bad I actually wanted children until I was told I couldn't have them. God was preparing me to be a great dad. I established a deep longing to start a family that I have never had before. I had never felt more certain about anything in my life than I did about wanting to be a dad. Bobby and I started visiting the infertility clinic in Iowa City, and we underwent multiple procedures to improve our chances to conceive naturally with no luck. It seemed helpless. Later that year, and after meeting with more infertility experts, we found out we'd be good candidates for in vitro fertilization. After a long, painful process of injections and doctor visits, and Bobby learning how to get over her fear of needles, God answered our prayers as we found out Bobby was pregnant. Bobby had an amazing pregnancy until we went in for a 37-week ultrasound since she was measuring small. They told us we needed to have an emergency C-section that day to get the baby out as she had stopped growing. And Bobby's amniotic fluid levels were dangerously low. God gave us Natalie Marie on May 8, 2013. She was just a little peanut at five pounds, five ounces, but perfectly healthy. Shortly after Natalie was born, Bobby and I went through another round of in vitro. The second round also yielded a healthy pregnancy, and God blessed us with Emma Nicole on October 18, 2014. Natalie and Emma are currently three and two, 17 months apart. They are the best part of my day when I get home from work. They are my world. I can't imagine a world without those two little sweethearts, and I'm so excited to watch them grow, and more importantly, turn into amazing soccer players. <laughs> Natalie will be my defender, and Emma will be the goalie. Last summer, when we were on our annual vacation to Table Rock Lake in Missouri, my dad called with some bad news. I couldn't get to my phone in time, but he left a message on my voicemail saying that Grandpa Lynn had died. Grandpa was not only my dad's neighbor, he was his best friend. Grandpa passed away after a few years of battling ailments and poor health. When I talked to my dad, I heard him cry for the first time that I remember. My dad never showed much emotion, and I could hear just how sad this was for my poor dad. My family asked me to speak at my grandpa's memorial. I felt honored, and I graciously agreed to serve my late grandpa. I will never forget how I felt standing there in front of all my close friends and family as I read the speech. As I wept while trying to speak, all of my family members broke down as well. 
I know Grandpa was watching down from the heavens with a smile. It was so healthy to have all my non-emotional family members let out some real tears to get some closure while we grew stronger and closer together. My older brother Jeremy and I hugged each other and cried for a few minutes. I had never felt so close to Jeremy. It is amazing that God used my grandpa's passing to build a deep bond with my closest family. God works in amazing ways. Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. My career with John Deere continues to be very rewarding and challenging. John Deere has helped me grow as a, and develop as a leader. I hold the company in the highest regard and I am blessed to hold the position that I have and work with great people every day. I am proud to say my little brother Alex followed in my footsteps and went to Colorado State University, got a mechanical engineering degree and works for John Deere in Dubuque today. I've been reluctant to share my story with others. This has taken a lot of courage and reflection and most recently a book by John Maxwell called Intentional Living. In this book, John encourages people to live with a purpose and to use their gifts to make other people better. I think one of my gifts is reflecting on my life and being able to share it with others to potentially improve their lives or connect with them more deeply. To not share my story is selfish. It is easy and it doesn't expand God's kingdom. I continue to use my life motto daily, do what is right, not what is easy. Today, I am passionate about living a healthy lifestyle and playing soccer. However, I have had to give up volleyball, softball, and wakeboarding. This was somewhat due to needing more time with my kids, but mostly due to my age. <laughs> wakeboarding was the hardest of these sports to give up. However, I was encouraged to do so after my sixth concussion, during which I lost vision for a short period of time. Over the last few years, I have taken an interest in leadership development and serving others. Today, I continue to try and find ways to add value to the world and be less focused on myself. I continue to find it hard to forgive myself for the nine years of pain that I have caused myself and others, even though I know God did not intend for me to carry this burden on my shoulders. Colossians chapter one, verse 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. The painful memories in my head are a reminder of where I was, and those memories drive me to be a better person every day. As my relationship with Christ continues to evolve, I am realizing that I don't have to be my own jury, judge, and executioner. Bobby and my girls continue to make me better. My girls promote selflessness and patience. Bobby promotes love and faith. I am truly blessed with what I have, and I can't wait to see what God has in store for my future. I pray that my girls choose to make better decisions than I did. I pray that Bobby and I build strong values within them so they make good choices and become great people. I worry that my girls won't be close to me. I want my kids to want to share their deepest feelings and thoughts with me. I'm cautious of my high expectations of them and I want to have thoughtful reactions to the mistakes that they make. I pray that I have the wisdom and patience to promote closeness with them and not push them away. I know I have to put my faith and trust in God and let him lay out the plan he has for my wonderful girls. Psalm chapter 31, verse 14. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. Thank you all for your time this morning. I will leave you with this one thought. Guide your lives by doing what is right, not what is easy. Thank you.
God is so funny. So, uh, Nate, I don't even know if you realize this. We walked into the back room with the worship guys, and I introduced you to Sean Chestnut. And Sean goes, I don't know that we've ever met, but I bought your wakeboard. So I don't know where your story intersected with theirs. Maybe it's at the point of alcohol. Maybe it's at the point of infertility. Maybe it's at the point of raising two little ones. Somewhere your story intersected with theirs. And I want to say a prayer that, uh, and maybe some are sitting out there and they've never actually come to Christ like you have. And they need to... uh, think that through clearly. So let's pray. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so, so very much for Nate's story. Uh, As Nate and I talked, you've been pursuing Nate for a long time and his family. You've been whispering an invitation and he just didn't hear it until Bobby helped him hear it. And Father, uh, we thank you that you're that kind of a God, a God who pursues And Father, those who were touched by the topic of alcohol or by the topic of infertility or by the topic of new faith or by the topic of raising kids, Father, could uh, all of us learn and take a step like Nate was talking about, like do what's right, not what's easy. In Jesus' name, amen.